Welcome to Mission Connect, a podcast brought to you by Passion to Reach Ministries, designed to equip you to connect with God's mission for your life. I'm Emily James, your host, here with co-host, Passion to Reach's founder and director, Pastor Fanu. Hey, Pastor Fanu, how are you? I'm doing great, Emily, and excited for another Mission Connect podcast. Yes, this is one that people are going to want to listen to from beginning to end. I'm telling you, we have a guest that has a powerful testimony and a great message. So, uh, But before we bring him on, why don't you just give our viewers, listeners, a little bit of um, background on what we do at PTR and our Missional Church Blueprint. Well, Emily, you know, I think the story we're going to share today with um, our listeners is uh, really a great example of um, what we are passionate about doing is helping the local church reach their community. And a lot of times, you know, we do a lot of things within the church, programs, events, ministries, but it's not always just what we do. It's the mindset that we operate with. And so uh, we have something that we do called the Missional Church Blueprint, which really equips the church to become missional. In fact, mm-hmm. we just also recently developed and are developing something called a missional operating system, which is basically saying, um, you know, the idea behind it is imagine like Microsoft has a Windows operating system. So you have software that you load into the operating system. So that's your programs, your events, your outreach events, etc. But sometimes the whole entire operating system is not the right one. And so even though you're trying to plug in um, outreach event software into your operating system, it just doesn't work well. There's a lot of bugs. It doesn't really produce results. And the church wonders, well, why isn't it working? Well, many times it's because we haven't built the foundation right as to why do we exist and what is the purpose of church in the first place. And so we really talk about this idea that God has called each of us on mission. And that really means that uh, we have to be missionaries in our communities. And, you know, missionaries, what they do is when they go to a community, when they go to a nation, uh, they identify with the people that live in that nation. Uh, Mm -hmm. They eat like them, dress like them. They don't become like them in the sense of they don't participate in sin, but they identify with them so they can build a relationship and then share Christ. And so that's really what we do for churches. And so if you're listening, friend, and you're a leader at your church, or maybe you're a pastor, Uh, You know, get in touch with us if that's something you want to see happen through your church, which is to reach people and to see souls saved in your community and to really experience transformation uh, within your church and in the effectiveness of communicating the gospel uh, to those in your community. So uh, that's a little bit about Missional Church Blueprint, and we'd love to hear from any of you that want to see your church go to the next level in fulfilling your mission. That's awesome. And you know, even in the operational system, we talk about mind and heart first and really how um, it begins in our mind and heart, a renewing of our mind, a transformation of our heart. And that's really what happened in the life of of our the pers- our guest today on the podcast, and actually he attends one of the churches that we work with, and so we're so excited to introduce you, Robert Dixon, to the podcast. Let's do it. And it is great to have Robert Dixon on the Mission Connect podcast today. Robert, welcome to the Mission Connect podcast. Thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here. Yes, thank you for being here today. Uh, Robert, we are so super excited to talk about your story because really mm-hmm. our podcast is designed to equip people to be able to help reach people um, who are far from God. And and in your experience, there was a time in your life where you were far from God. And I feel like many times people look at people that are far from God and say, oh, God couldn't use them. God couldn't have a plan for their life because, you know, they're just so far. They're just so disconnected from God and church and the purpose and the destiny that God may have for their life. And a lot of people, I think, uh, Robert, even operate out of fear that, oh, I, I shouldn't go there. I shouldn't talk to that person because you know, um, it's just not going to work out anyways. It's not going to make a difference. And so we're excited because we want uh, to really get your story out there. And I believe that the listeners of this podcast uh, will be encouraged and uh, hopefully even equipped to reach people 
that are different from them. Because, you know, we're always comfortable with people that are just like us. But sometimes God will ask us to reach people that are very different from us. And so um, that's what I'm hoping will come out of our time together today. So let's start off with um, Robert. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Where did you grow up? What was life like growing up? What were some of the earliest influences uh, in your life? Um, I grew up, you know, uh, a basic West Indian child. I grew up back home in Trinidad. Um, okay. <clears throat> my, uh, I had both parents. Um, they were great to me, actually. They always encouraged me. They never um, put me down in any way, shape, or form. Um, I have three sisters. I'm the only boy. I'm the youngest out uh-huh. of my family. So I'm the spoiled one. Yeah, exactly. I'm the one who gets spoiled all the time and <laughs> never have to do anything. So. I grew up good. I grew up really good. No complaints there. Wow. And so at some point in your life, um, you started hanging out with the wrong people, if you will. Now, actually, let me ask you this question. Were you going to church? Did you have a concept of God, of faith uh, in your early childhood growing up? Uh, yes. My, my uncle is actually a pastor. Oh, so really? We, yeah. So we grew up in a Baptist church. Okay. It was, long, it was six hours worth of church, but we grew up. We grew up in Baptist church. We went every Sunday. We went to Friday prayer meetings. So I had an awareness of God. I knew who God was. I knew what he was about. I just didn't feel that connection at that time. Okay. And and so did you ever like feel like you needed to make a commitment to Christ? Or did anyone ever talk to you about that growing up at all? No. Like a personal relationship with Christ? No, it, was, it wasn't ever spoken about. Okay. Wow. And so uh, then at some point, Robert, you uh, got to a place where you began to sort of drift, if I can use that uh, word from, from, you know, even though you didn't have a personal relationship, I guess, from just your general faith or, or even the uh, cultural uh, sense of religion and all of that, that you had, your life sort of took a turn around the age of 14. Tell us about that. Um, When I got to the age of 14, I, you know, I was in Canada by that time. So growing up around, you know, the Canadian kids, they had the Jordans, they had the nice jackets and uh, the stuff that we couldn't really afford. And I, I wanted these things. I really wanted to obtain these, these nice things that these guys had. And we just didn't have the money to do it. Wow. So, you know, I tried to take it in my own hands really to, to get that money, to get these things. Wow. So you're driven by the, the desire to have the stuff that your friends had, basically. Yeah, okay. yeah, the stuff that I've seen people have. Mm-hmm. And so what did you do? What, what was your route to, to trying to obtain those things? My route was, uh, I was selling drugs. Well, I, I first, I started, we first started robbing people. Wow. It's, At 14? Yes. It, it's, wow. it's really, really bad when you say it out loud. But we began robbing people first. So what we would do is we would follow drug dealers that we knew in the neighborhood and kind of watch what they did. Uh-huh. And when we caught them alone, we would, we would rob them. But we never actually had a gun. We would just put our hands in our pocket and fake it. And uh-huh. we were 14. We had no mask. We didn't know nothing. We just had that urge for money. We wanted it so bad. We were willing to do anything to get it. But, but these dealers were older than you, though. Much older, much older. Wow. But in the dark, nobody knows the age. You can't really, really don't take that chance of, right. of what age a person is. So you just give up what you have. Right. And um, I remember there was one time I did it. We, I was by myself, actually. Uh-huh. And I caught this guy outside and I robbed him. And he had drugs in his pocket. So I got drugs and money. So when I got home, I was going to throw the drugs out. But I said, huh, I wonder if I can go outside and sell this to somebody. And would they buy this from me? Mm. So I had that drugs in my closet for months and months and months. And I was outside at a max one day and some lady asked me, do I have any crack? And I said, just yes. like that. It came just up to like you. that. Because it, it, it's funny is it's how I looked. Uh, I just had, I had that look. I had the baggy pants, the, the, the hood on the sunglasses. So you just look, I played the part. I looked yeah. like that kind of person. Yeah. And she asked me and I said, oh, yes, I do. Actually, I do have. I ran all the way home and that's how it began. Wow. And that was my, I, I want to say like a death warrant. Like that was 
beginning of my end. Wow. So what did that, what kind of life did that take you into? I know you mentioned you were in gangs. Bring us through that, kind of how you got into that. Did you begin to kind of feel a sense of, oh, here's some belonging in the gangs, and maybe that's how you continued to go? What was your journey there? Um, well, I actually started the gang. So I had a group of my friends. Wow. <laughs> I know. It, wow. It was a group of my friends, and... Um, I had the drugs and I said, listen, if we sell these guys, we can actually make money. We can buy the shoes. We can buy the nice stuff that we see these guys have. Mm. And everybody was on board. It's like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. But we were 15, 14, 15. We knew nothing. So we thought it was just a simple go sell it to this guy, get the money, walk away. Right. But when it comes to money and the area that we lived in, it becomes more than that. Yeah. You have other drug dealers who want to rob you. You have other drug dealers who want to come after you and we're 14 years old and we're up against 18, 19 year olds. Wow. And so it, it just, it, it, it went really bad. I had cops come to my house. I had uh, drug dealers come in my home trying to rob my house because I knew I had money in the home. Wow. It, was, it was just a really bad situation and it was just spiraling into even a worse one. Do you feel when you're in that position that it's almost like you're going down the slippery slope? Like, like it's almost like um, you're going down a hill, you're falling, rolling down a hill, and halfway through you'd like to stop, but you just don't know how to stop anymore. Absolutely. You're watching yourself deteriorate. You're watching, your, you're, you're killing yourself, but you're watching yourself doing it slowly. It's like watching a movie of yourself. Oh. You, you, you when, when I walked outside, I got dressed, I put my jacket on, I, put a, I had a gun. That's how I went outside. If I didn't have it, I wouldn't go outside. That's how I lived my life. I drove in cars with guns. I drove around um, convenience stores with guns. I just, it, I had to have the firearm on me. And, and, because, been, and because you felt that your life was in danger constantly. All day. All day. All, I've been shot at numerous of times I have people have shot in cars that I've sat in I have been in clubs where people have been shot beside me where I had their blood on my shoulder I've been in situations where you, you fear for your life so you just believe that you have to carry this this weapon in order to get home for the night did you did you feel that at some point were there, were there people that tried to reach out to you while you were going through this? So were there, what I mean by that is, so, you know, you're going through this downward spiral. Were there people that saw this and said, this guy needs help or someone needs to talk to him. Someone needs to reach out to him. Did you have people in your life that, that tried? No, it, it's funny as I, I believe they knew what I was doing. Uh-huh. but they never said anything to me. They never asked me why I got the money from. They never asked me why am I staying out so late. They never asked me did I have a homework. They, didn't, they never worried what I was doing. They never asked me too many questions, so I just felt like I had a golden pass to do what I felt. Mm. I didn't have nobody to ask me questions or to even, I felt like nobody cared. Mm. I felt like nobody cared if you lived, nobody cared if you went to jail, because nobody would ask you anything. I, my mother had, when my mom found uh, the gun in my room, I had it in a backpack and I put it in my closet. My mom used to put my laundry away and she found it and she says to me, what is this? I said, oh, it's a cap gun. She goes, oh, it's a cap gun. So she put it back in a bag and she threw it back in the closet. It wasn't, a, it was heavy. It couldn't be a cap gun. A cap gun's made out of plastic. But again, she didn't inquire, right? So I was free. I was a 14 year old boy who was free to do and roam as he felt. I find that interesting that you say that even though it was a golden pass to do what you wanted to do at the same time, on the flip side, you felt that no one really cares what's going on in my life. Uh-uh. And, and it's, it's interesting that, you know, that that's your perspective internally. And, and part of, I guess, Robert, in our conversation today, what I want our listeners to get out of this is what is the psychology that, that happens in the heart and the mind of a young person, you know, right. and, I tell people all the time, you know, I came to faith in Christ when I was, uh, when I was really young, when I was seven years old, I got baptized when I was 12. And 
I'm a big believer in, in reaching young people, you know, because it's funny, you're from Trinidad. I've preached a lot in Trinidad. And, I, and every time I've, I've preached in Crusades in Trinidad, you know, I, I always try anywhere I go, not just Trinidad, any country mm-hmm. I've been to, I try to read the newspapers. And I try to read the newspapers so I know what's happening in the country. And I, and I constantly would say in these meetings, and when I would speak in churches in Trinidad, I would say, you know, we in the church, we are babying our young men and young women. Oh, she's only 14, 15, mm-hmm. 16. And I said, you read the newspapers and 16-year-olds are killing people and 17-year-olds are running drug rings. And I mean, in, 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 the, in the world, uh, when the devil gets a hold of young people, the devil actually believes they can do a lot. But sometimes mm-hmm. in the church, we don't think they can do a lot. Yeah. And we don't think they're mature enough, old enough, good enough to actually make a difference for God. But in the world, the enemy obviously feels like they are mature enough to do, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And, um, and so a part of what I, I hope will come across in our conversation is that, that God wants us to reach out to young people. That God wants us, in your case, obviously, to reach out to young men. That, that there is there is potential within these, you know, youth of our day today um, to do great things for God. And, and it's just sometimes you just need someone that will notice and reach out and have a conversation. And from what you're telling me now, there weren't those people. And, and who knows? We don't know how you would have reacted. But, you know, you would have, there may have been a chance for them to reach out to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The only person I, I remember was... Um was my well at my time it was my girlfriend but mm. she's my wife now mm. and i felt she would ask me every sunday every sunday you come into church and most of the time i would say no mm. she wouldn't give me no hard time she wouldn't you know be rude to me and she just okay no problem next sunday again she'll ask me again i usually would say no to her because you know last night i was out all night or i'm tired or whatnot and right. she was very pleasant with me and I, and I, I thought that that's what kind of helped me, you know, understand that somebody does care. Mm. Somebody, maybe she does really care for me because she was very sweet, and, and that was uh, that was the only person I felt that at the time cared. Wow. And and how did how did this end up? So to go, so let's walk towards the end of the season. So you you started off at fourteen. At some point, you know, you were at sixteen, eighteen, twenty. You continued in that life. How did this progress? Where did it take you? Uh, what was the what was the height, if you will? It's not the height. It's really the lowest point. But you know, how where did this progress to? Uh, what started at fourteen? I got what I was hoping for. I got the money. I got the nice things. I bought the cars. I went on trips. I spoiled my girlfriend. I bought her every purse that she could believe. I bought everything because I had liquid money. Wow. I had it. I, 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 I felt like I made it in life because mm. I got what I worked for, I believed. But, you know, there's always, there's always negative that comes out of, of, of these things. You know, the more money you have, they always say more money you have, more problems you have. And it's, it's so true. Right. It's only how you get the money. Yeah. You know, fast money goes fast. It never lasts. You never, you can, it's just like you burn it out of your pocket. You just spend and spend and spend and spend, right? And you go to the bars, you buy bottles, you're showing off, and it, it attracts negativity. Mm. You know, but yet there was still this, like, emptiness in your life, obviously. There was, like, some you, – you looked for money at first for belonging, and then you got to a place where you had money. Yeah. Did you feel belong? Did you finally feel like you had made it? Or where? what were you feeling in that – time you never feel really like you made it mm-hmm. you always feel like you want more mm-hmm. like it's never enough mm-hmm. you can sit there and you can get as much money as you can but greediness takes over now mm-hmm. and you're just buying these things because you're empty inside really yeah you know, you're buying these fancy cars and these you know nice shoes and jackets and watches just to mask the real person on the inside inside i was really soft inside but you have to put out that strong exterior when you're outside. Mm-hmm. That's what the jewelry does. 
So what was the point where you, uh, you had this girlfriend at the time who's kind of saying, you know, are you coming to church? You're in this uh, lifestyle. What was the point that kind of it shifted for you or changed? Or was it something maybe that she said in particular? Or was it an encounter that you had? What was that kind of uh, transition time for you? I think um, it was, it was uh, so we had one child at the time. We had a, a three-year-old when we got married and we were trying for a second child. And my wife, when she gets pregnant, she gets very sick. Mm. So she's always on bed rest. She has to have uh, the nurses come to the house. And um, she had a pick line in and the pick line got infected, which gave her a blood infection. And we sat, I mean, we sat inside the doctor's office and the doctor said, because of the infection you have, it's either you let the infection stay and it kills your wife, or you give her this medication and it will kill the fetus. Wow. She was already passed. She was already in the last trimester. So the kid was about to be born within a couple of months. So we sat there and I remember people from the church came, Pastor Sue came, which was my pastor at the time and my pastor now. And they were all praying for her and I couldn't say a word out of my mouth. I didn't believe Mm -hmm. that God could intervene in this situation. I didn't believe it. So they would pray outstanding with them, but I wouldn't say anything. Um, I'm more so the doctor asked me to make the decision, which one, and I, obviously I had to choose my wife. And it was a very difficult decision we had to make. Then they gave her the medication and they said within a couple of hours, the heartbeat of the baby will start to slow down and you'll notice it. Uh, they came in three hours later, Heartbeat was strong and the same. They came in six hours later, heartbeat was still the same. So the doctors are baffled. They're like, it's, this is not supposed to happen. They, they, the heart rate is supposed to slow down. And um, so they were confused. I had so many doctors coming, just confused of what's going on here. They couldn't give me an answer of why the heart rate's not stopping. And um, they said, then they said, oh, they were saying to us, if the baby does survive, the baby's going to have Down syndrome, the baby's going to have all sorts of problems. So now we have another thing to be scared of. I mean, when the pastor came back to the hospital, uh, the leaders came back to the hospital, and again, they were praying. And again, I couldn't do it. I didn't believe. I still, you know, when, when, you're, in, when you're in the natural, you, you, you find other ways of understanding what's going on. You never actually think, oh, maybe this could be God intervening in my life. You just find other natural ways of why this happened. And I, couldn't, I didn't believe it. I just couldn't believe that God was going to do this for me. I, I, I wasn't worth it. My family wasn't worth that. Look what I've done to people. Look at the families I've ruined mm. by selling on this kind of drugs. Look at how much, you know, things I've caused in my mm. life. How could God do this for me? And um, I remember we had the baby. Beautiful child. Nine pounds. Nothing wrong with the child whatsoever. And I still didn't believe it. I had found every other reason to, to understand why this happened. I had to be, maybe it was just a coincidence. Maybe it just happened just because I was not giving God the credit that God needed. I'm like, no, it's not God. It has to be something else. There's no way. Mm. What, what really set my life into motion to change was one night I was walking out of the bathroom. <clears throat> sorry. And um, my son was suffering from seizures at the time because of the medication, I, I think. Okay. And he would have seizures and he have a hard time breathing. And I walked out of the bathroom and he was at the top of the stairs and I heard him coughing. So I said, what's wrong, son? Come, let me see you for a second. He took one step and he passed out. And I caught him before he hit the first step. And he was having a seizure in my hands. And he died in my hands. I, 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 I know it. He just stopped breathing and that was it. And I said, God, please. That's all I said was, God, please. Of all the things I've done, I know, but please, not him. A couple of seconds later, I, he just jumped up. He jumped up like he, nothing was wrong with him. He squiggled his way down. He wanted me to put him down, and he ran off. Wow. I went upstairs, and I cried, and that's... Nobody can ever tell me 
that God is not real. That mm. God, I think God knew that I needed to see it with my own eyes. Not to hear it from somebody, but I needed to see it. And he showed me his, him. He showed me him. And I think that's what turned my life around. It was, it was that moment that I said, that's it. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And I began my quest to find God. I wanted to find this man who loved me enough to still help me. Mm. Of all the things mm-hmm. I've done, the things I have, and he still loves me. And I had to find, I want to know who this man was who loves me so like that. And that was my, that was my, my where it began for me. Wow. Wow. That is, that's, just, that's incredible. That's, I don't know what to say, but that's uh, that's an incredible, mm-hmm. uh, incredible story. Um, and so when, okay. So at that moment you said, yes, I want to, but obviously you hadn't fully uh, started down that road yet. When, when did the, when did the full transformation happen? Like when did you start to actually, because you were telling us you weren't going with your wife to church yet. So when did that start to happen and, and your life really changed? What was that moment? I think it took some time mm-hmm. because, you know, after you, you get over the shock of stuff, you kind of go back to reality like we always do. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, it took, it took, a little bit of time. It took, I'm trying to find the proper words for it because it, it did take me a while. Okay. And I think with age, I began to, my eyes began to open mm. just, you know, I, I didn't feel pressured mm. by anybody to give my life to God. They, they, I had really good people around me and it just took me some time to really understand and believe God mm. to, mm. to, to trust in, to trust in him. Like I always trusted in myself. I trusted in, in natural things. I trusted in guns. I've trusted in friends. And it took me a long time to, to, I had to separate myself from old friends. And I knew I had to do certain steps to get to certain places. And I had to first disconnect myself from certain people in order for me to make the next step. Mm. And it took me long. It was, a, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do because I'm the person who brought this to them. Yeah. I brought them this game. I brought them the drugs. I brought them the, the guns. So how do I just leave them now? Mm. Right? How do I not? They didn't know where I live. How do I not? Uh, you know? And it, it was really, it was a really difficult time. Back and forth, it was bad. Did they stick with you? The initial crew? Did they stick with you throughout? No, the- they don't. They they don't like me. They a few a, a couple of guys will talk to me. Uh, a couple of guys if they see me in the street, they probably want to put their hands on me. Um, but no, we don't, we don't talk anymore. They, they, because again, I brought this to them. And then I said, you know what guys, I'm out. And they're like, how can you be out? You brought us in here. You got caused us all this trouble. And I was said, now you walk away. That doesn't make any sense. Did they get in trouble? Oh yeah. I, does not, I don't think it's one of them that's free. I think that, I think out of, Five of us, I think maybe only two of us are out. The rest, I, my friend Cornflake got uh, 25 years when we were like 17. Wow. So the majority of us, yeah, they're not, they're not free anymore. They, they continued. Wow. They continued doing it. Um. How, how, how did you, how did you turn your life around? Like what, how did this happen? Like, I'm mm-hmm. trying to understand, so, you know, like, I guess talking about jail time, talking about 25 years, that, that just brings such reality to what mm-hmm. you guys were involved in. Um, and how does that happen? I don't know. Just talk to me about what is the transformation that happens in the life of a person that's been that deep? Like, and I don't know, I don't know about, you know, did you go to school in the meantime? Did you have a career that you were building? Or did you fully rely on the drugs and the street life and all of that for all of your income? And so even from a practical perspective, how did you change, turn, you know, your life around? You know, um, for, I'm over, so by the time I decided to change my life around, most of the money that I made, I burnt through it already. Wow. I never had a good job at the time. Mm. So... My, 
I was, I was always good at hustling. Mm-hmm. I was always good at doing this, doing a little bit of that. I was always good at doing more than one thing. So I needed to find something like that without actually having to sell the drugs. So I got into trucking. Um, the, the transformation, it was difficult. It was, diff- my, it was the hardest thing to see because my friends really, really hated me. Mm. And I would get the phone calls. I would get the threats. You know, we'll come to your house and stuff. I, it was really, it was really bad. I had to change my number. I had to move. I, I, I don't have social media. I don't have Facebook. I had to actually cancel myself out of that kind of life. So you couldn't find me. I did, I did, for like five, six years, I didn't go to Toronto. I wouldn't go downtown Toronto. I wouldn't go to Eaton Center, those places, because that's where we used to be most of the time. So I had to just absolutely move my whole entire life away in order to, to get what I needed. So, so how are you now in kind of in this season where you're building your family, you're getting your life back on track and doing those things and stuff? What has been, like, what would you say to someone who is maybe not going through this because they may not be listening to a podcast like this, but um, someone who maybe you know, I think we, this is probably a little bit more common than we actually think or a little bit more. uh, It happens more often than we think it does. And so what would you say to a person who maybe a sibling or child or friend is kind of where you were when you were 14 or maybe you have an example of just pouring into someone else's life right now, young men or whatever, but how would you, uh, what would you say to them and what to do? Like, so that we're not, so that there isn't these 14 year old that feel like nobody cares. Nobody's talking to me or everybody wants to avoid the conversation because they don't want to know what's happening. So what would you say to those people in order, you know, if they know somebody or they're related to someone that they know is in that situation? It's, I think it's just that you got to show that you, you care for the person. You know, it's, it's, a, lot, a conversation goes a long way or mm-hmm. how's your day or, you know, you have homework or, or, you know, what are you doing? What are you going outside to do? Or just to, sh- it goes a long way to ask somebody a simple question. How are you doing? You know, and, and, not, ex- and not always expect to get down to a, a, a serious conversation just to show that you care for somebody. That goes a long way because a lot of these kids out there, they just, their parents work two jobs, they're never home. They, they believe that nobody cares. If you live or you die, they don't, they don't think anybody cares. And these gang members or these other guys, they show you that they care. They mm. call you all the time. They come to your house. They, mm. they treat you like your parents or your friend or your, your, your sibling should have treated you. Mm. So it's easy to get sucked into somebody who shows that they care. You know, and I just believe that we, if... We have our young kids. We have to really just teach them. They 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 just don't know. They really they're 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 very naive to think that. I've never seen a gangster retire before. I've never seen a gangster you know says I I've sold drugs for sixty years and now I'm retired. It never happens. Either you're dead or you're in jail. That's the only two options. So you you just have to show you gotta love these kids. Good or bad, you just have to love them, show them that you care, and just talk to them. They will tell you what's on their mind. They will tell you what's on their heart when they believe they trust you. But if they can't trust you, that you're not going to hear what they say and go run to the police, then they're not going to want to speak to you. You have to just be a trustworthy person, and, and they'll open up. What were some of the things that you feel... Um, should be said to someone, maybe not at 14, maybe at 17 or 18, beyond I care. What, what would be some of the, um, so what do I, well, I guess what I mean is in my mind, saying I care or I'm here to listen to you is a passive thing, right? right. And I know you start there. You have to start there. You build the trust. But what are some of the deeper um, questions of meaning and purpose and destiny that needs to be 
talked about with those young men. Uh, and I'm just saying young men because we're talking about you here, but I suppose it could be young women as well. Because part of me wonders if part of it is that they don't think they could amount to much more. And so they settle for what they have. So what, what, what are some of the things that you would counsel somebody who is in the life of a person living, you know, doing drugs, you know, in gangs and all of that? What would you say to them? These are some of the things you should talk to them about once you've built trust. You know, um, I'm a pastor who asked me this. She said, what do you want? Mm. And, and that really makes you think. You sit back and say, what do I want? What are you looking to get out of this? You've got one life. Mm. You can't live twice. What do you want? Mm. And half the kids that are doing this can't answer that because they don't know what they want. They don't know, they don't know their potential. So you ask them, what do you want? Do you want to live? Do you want to die? And when you, if you want to live, how do you want to live? Because you can't live like this. This is just a pastime. This is something you can't do forever. So you have to ask, what do you want? And they can't answer. I've, I've, I've heard kids, I've asked kids that, what do you want? I even asked my own children that. What, do you, what are you expecting to get out of this? They're like, uh, shoes? They don't, they don't know. Mm. And that's what we have to teach them. We have to teach them that there's so much more out there than this. Mm. There's mm -hmm. so much more, you have so much more potential. You're worth it. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I never thought I was worth it at the time. Mm. You know, if nobody cares for you, then obviously you don't think that you're worth something. You don't, you're not even worth their time to even ask you how you're doing. So you, you just, you know, do what you're doing. You're not worth their time because they can't even talk to you in the, in the evening. So I, I think, you know, we, we have to get to why these kids do like, what, what do you want in life? What do you want to do? What do you see yourself at the age of, nobody thinks passive 21. Right. So what would you say to, um, you know, now, again, speaking from a place of really transformation and redemption. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean somebody in uh, the lifestyle that you were, but maybe just a listener or somebody listening who's maybe in that place, whatever their background is, whatever their history is of going, you know, battling with, do I have purpose? Do I have a call? You know, is God, you know... Is, is, does God love me? Does God have a purpose for me? What would you say to uh, that person? Because I know there's a lot of young people yeah. that struggle with that, no matter what their background is. Right. So what would you say to someone, being someone who's like, look, if anybody knows that God can call you from any place, yeah. I know. What would you say to them? I think they have to believe that they're worth it. I think they have to believe that they're worth God's time, they're worth putting the effort in, into. Um, yeah, like, I came from that spot where the, it's, it, it's, you don't think you're worth anything, you know, and you just have to show them that you, you, you're worth more than you think you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, God died for you on a cross. You're worth it. And I think that's what they have to, they have to really believe that in order to, I think, to even get anywhere. You have to believe that you're worth you have, you, you're worth it. So what are you doing now um, really to pour into other people? Part of this is really going, you know, how do we now help others live on mission? How do we help through our story? How do we help others? What are some things that you're doing now to uh, pour into people's lives? I know you said young men is an, uh, an area that you love, uh, people that you love to pour into. So what are you doing now? Um, I... I know I always gravitate to the younger men for some reason. So the younger men in my church, I'm always talking to them, seeing how they're doing, trying to encourage them. I let them, I let them see me in my life. I, I, I be, I'm very honest with them. I'll tell them what I used to do. I might not go and do big details with them, but I just tell them, listen, if you ever encounter a problem, there's nothing that I have not seen. And I've done a lot. So it's, you won't surprise me with what you, what you want to say. So I just, I think I just try to be open with them, be available. Even with my own children, I just try to teach 
teach things that I wish I knew at 14, 15, 16 years old. I try to teach them, try to make them understand that this does not benefit you what's in any shape or form. So I think I just let my life live out. I just... I have a question about, uh, it's a little different maybe. I'm not sure if you've thought through this before, but as a church, and I don't mean just any local church, right? I mean, as the church, as the body of Christ. One of the things we are, uh, we've struggled with is we've tried to walk this fine line and we don't always get it right between wanting to be light uh, wanting to impact the world around us and at the same time trying to protect ourselves from the influence of the world. Right. So I'm trying to imagine you, Robert. I, I, I don't know what, um, what you uh, came across like, what you looked like with the, as you said, the fancy jackets, the, you know, the fancy car, the sunglasses, the hoodie on, I'm not sure, but I'm thinking you wouldn't technically fit into a Sunday morning crowd at a traditional church. No. <laughs> so, so, so here we are talking to people. I'm sure there's some pastors listening and right. we're saying to them, listen, man, you got to engage these guys. You, you know, you may see them at the Mac store. You may see them, you know, at, uh, at the corner of the street or you may outside your church, maybe hanging around or something. And you need to engage them. You need to talk to them. You need to build a relationship. You need to encourage your people to do that. Mm-hmm. But then here's the other side to it. Well, what, what, what about, what about, you know, what, what do they influence our kids? What do they, you know? And so that's, that's part of the fear. I'm just being honest. That's part yeah. of the fear that the, that the church and I'm not, not one particular church. I just mean overall mm-hmm. that the church has. And so many times what we do is we retreat and we do this. We send one person out with a tract we right. said one person we think can do this well and say, you go out on the street or you go out and talk to people, but the rest of us are going to hide out here because we just don't want to interact with them because we don't know how they're going to influence our culture and our children and all of that. So what right. would you say? And I, and I, like I see both sides and I understand the struggle, but what's your perspective on that? And how would you, um, how would you advise if there was a pastor listening, what would you advise or counsel that pastor to do? Uh, to be able to overcome that fear to reach people like yourself, how you used to be? I, I think we got to take them in. we got to take them as they are. It's, it's a risk, and I, I, get, I get it, but we got to take them in. You know, if I remember um, Pastor Sue. When I first met Pastor Sue, I, had, I came to church and I smelled like weed. I know I did because I smoked in the car before I got there. And I had the do-rag on. I had the baggy pants. And she didn't see me until the ending. She used to stand at the front door. And when she shook my hand, she did not look at me like I thought she would. She looked right through the clothing. She looked right through the smell. And she looked at my heart. And she treated me like a human. She did not treat me like a, a, a convict, like a gangster. She treated me like Robert. Mm. Wow. And that's what sold me. And that's what we have to do to these kids. We cannot treat them yeah. the way they look. I, yeah. I know it's difficult because some of them, they have the gold teeth and the tattoos on their face. I know it's difficult, but we can't treat them the way they look mm. because that's not them. That's just the exterior. What's inside of them is more important. And we have to tap into what's in them, not how they look. Their appearance is just clothing and it's, it's we have to just treat them as humans. Mm-hmm. Right? I know it's difficult because even sometimes when I see them, you know, you go to the convenience store and they're all standing outside the convenience store. You kind of start a step for a second. But you say to yourself, they're just kids. Let's, let's treat, if we treat them properly and we treat them with respect and treat them with dignity, at the end of the day, they're just kids with baggy clothes. They're, they're softer inside. They're, they're, they're like bullies. You know bullies when they kids bully people? They, the bullies are usually softer than the kids they're bullying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? But you get scared because of the way the person looks. We have to, we got to take them in. We have to take them in the way they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's the major thing. You know, some, some might influence the kids. I hope they don't. But the majority, I don't think they will. 
I think they will actually appreciate being treated like that. I mean, appreciate to, to be spoken to like a regular person, not a convict. Mm-hmm. I, I think when I look at the life of Jesus, this is what really boggled the minds of people about Jesus, you know, is that he, he saw people, but he saw people for who they were, but he, did, he treated them for who they were going to be. Yes. Yeah. Like he saw Zacchaeus Sagi, Sagi, for who he was, but he treated him for he who he was going to be. He saw Matthew, the tax collector, for who he was. He knew who he was, but he treated him uh, for he who he was going to be, a disciple. Yeah. You know, That's what I mean. That's and uh, yeah, and I think that's, that's maybe, I mean, isn't that what mission is all about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, going mm-hmm. to people that are, that are not where they need to be, but mm-hmm. seeing them for who God has called them to be down that's the road. Really- yeah. And uh, I think that's powerful what you said about your pastor, Pastor Susan, who obviously I know so well and have such a great relationship with, that she was able to see you for who you would be. And, you know, for our listeners, just so you know, I work with Robert uh, at, uh, at his church. And, uh, you know, he's he actually we just recruited him to be one of the leaders for the men's ministry. And he's on my team uh, working with the men of the church. And uh, so when I look at him today and when you look at, the life he lives, you know, he's got his own business. He's got his family. He's got his children. Uh, obviously, no one's perfect. I'm sure, Robert, you're not perfect, but uh, your life is being completely transformed. And so, Absolutely. you know, God put people like Pastor Sue around you to see the man you are today back when, you know, no one else could see that at, at the time. Yeah. And yeah. so what a... What an incredible, what an incredible journey, you know? And uh, so I guess uh, I just want to wrap it up by, you know, just saying to our listeners, God can transform the life of anyone. And it's Mm -hmm. a matter of us being obedient and us being able to see people through the eyes of Jesus and being able to love them. And I found it so intriguing, uh, Robert, when you talked about love, that no matter how hardcore you look on the outside, on the inside, ultimately what you're really looking for is love. Yeah. unconditional love yeah. uh, where where people will say, you know what, it doesn't matter who you are on the outside or what you've done. Uh, what matters is that uh, that you're made in the image of God and I'm going to love you for, for who God has made you to be. Exactly. Um, so any, any final thoughts or words, uh, Robert? I know Emily said that um, um, people like you were in your former <laughs> life, the gangsters are not listening to this podcast, but maybe, maybe. Uh, maybe there's a Christian that listens to this podcast and says to a friend, hey, you really need to listen to Robert's story. And so if, if that person was listening today uh, and they're not where they need to be, they know that on the inside, right? And uh, they're like that person rolling down the hill, wanting to stop, doesn't know how to stop. What would you say to them today? You know, I'll say the cliche thing is if I can do it, everybody can do it. But it's, it's true. You know, it, God loves unconditionally and, and, and God is real. And, you know, you just have to, again, believe in yourself. And, you know, I think that, um, um, you, you have to, you gotta love yourself first. I find, you know, love yourself, love your life. You know, and, and, and it will change for you. Wow, that's powerful. Well, listen, thank you, Robert, for being on the podcast. We're just so thrilled uh, that you would join us and share your life uh, with us and the transformation of your life with us. And I know that many people are going to be encouraged and blessed and, uh, and just challenged by mm-hmm. your story and uh, how we're all called uh, to make a difference uh, in the lives of those that God's placed around us. So thank you for being on the Mission Connect yes, podcast. Yes, thank you. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Wow, Emily, I thought that was probably one of the most profound uh, podcast interviews we've done yeah. recently. Um, just the uh, just the gravity of the story and the, almost the, the weightiness of what, what Robert was talking about mm-hmm. and uh, obviously the story speaks for itself, so I don't want to rehash the whole thing, but I think one moment that really stood out to me was when he talks about how he went to church, uh, because of his girlfriend at the time and he was leaving church and pastor Susan was at the door 
And, uh, you know, he, as he said in this, in, in the interview, he said, I just smoked wheat in the, uh, wheat in the car when, before I got, came to church. And, you know, I'd wear, I was wearing baggy jeans. I wasn't looking the part, you know, and she did not flinch when she shook his hand and she greeted him and she spoke to him. She treated him with respect and dignity and for the person he really was on the inside, even though obviously on the outside, um, his exterior didn't really match what was going on in his heart. So I thought that was just a powerful moment. And I thought to myself, man, we talk about Mission Connect, every Christian would be able to do that. Uh, what would, maybe not an instant result right away, but what would happen in the hearts of people that we interact with? Yeah, you know, so often we talk about we need to believe that we have a purpose, which is true. We need to believe it ourselves, but we need to believe it about other people. And, you know, even when he said walking into a store and you see, you know, young men in looking the way he probably did when he was 14 and stuff. And it's like, do we believe that they have purpose too? Because God certainly believes it because he took someone like Robert and transformed his life. But do we believe it? And when we do, we'll see people for, I think you mentioned in the podcast, for who they can be, right? And and so that's really, uh, we we listed a couple, or you listed a couple people in the Bible, but, you know, someone I think of too is a Samaritan woman and just how we identify the things uh, who she was and what she was doing. And yet he saw the transformation that would happen, not just in her life, but in the community around her. And that's the kind of perspective we need to have when we're living on mission and pouring into people's lives. Yeah, I know it's interesting because uh, you talk about a Samaritan woman and how when the disciples came to Jesus and they found him talking to her, mm-hmm. they said to themselves, why is he talking to her? Yeah. You know, and and many times that's the attitude we have when we see someone talking to someone who may not, I don't know, play the part or be the, you know, doesn't look the part, you know, and, and you're like, well, what are they doing talking to that person? And yet that should define a Christian. We should be talking to yeah. the people that nobody else wants to talk to yeah, because we see what no one else can see through the spirit of Christ uh, that lives within us. Right. And so I just thought that was uh, just such a powerful uh, interview and friends, if you're listening to this still at this point of the podcast, please share this with others, share this with other Christians and share this with non-Christians, share this with people that you feel would identify with where Robert Dixon was and that they, their life may be changed. Their heart may be impacted hearing of his story of transformation. So with that, thanks again for uh, tuning in. Always great to hear from you. Remember, please subscribe to this podcast so that every week you'll get uh, this uh, podcast for free. And uh, please make sure to share with others as well. As always, you can reach out to us by email at missionconnect at passiontoreach.com and find us online at passiontoreach.com. So thanks for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Mission Connect. Join us next week. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.